This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, the artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilogue Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artists. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And and of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. How does a curator spot a work of art in the first five seconds? Guys, did you know that digital art is a $1 billion industry? But most importantly, the work of curators is becoming more important, not just in the digital space, but every art space. Hi guys, welcome to the episode of The Artist with me, Suchita. It was wonderful to have all of you listening to this very interesting episode where we have Capuchin Jenkins. She's a curator with Saatchi Arts. Capuchin's curatorial career has allowed her to organize historical and contemporary art exhibitions for major institutions, established galleries and emerging NFT marketplace. But the most important thing we talk about is that how does a curator see what do they do to polish themselves to be able to see and spot a pin in a haystack? Enjoy. So just to just start the conversation, Capuson, tell me, you being an art curator and also you've studied anthropology, what are the couple of things that strikes you when you first look at a work of art? A couple of things in the first five seconds. Mm, yeah. Um, well, a lot can happen in five seconds, <laughs> um, but <laughs> first being sort of trained as an art yeah. historian, um, I immediately, you know, my, my brain immediately starts to think about um, kind of the fundamentals of art. Like, is this formally interesting? What is the artist doing with color? Um, what is the artist doing with, um, are, are they creating spatial relationships? Like those kind of very formal, very, very like maybe not interesting or, you know, sort of what we think about when we think about uh, enjoying mm-hmm. art. Um, you know, of course I have, just like any human, um, have sort of a visceral, a visceral response when I see um, an artwork, whether that's, um, whether that's disgust or whether that's um, very like deeply mm. emotional, um, it kind of like is a, a provocative mm. in some way, or uh, I think that's just like a general human sort of experience mm. with art um, and with with the way mm. of seeing, um, and and also as 
an anthropologist, um, I'm also thinking about um, what the what the human aspect is. What what's mm. the story? Um, who is this artist, and what story are they trying to tell, or what story are they trying to tell through this creation, through mm. this artwork? Um, those are that's like the first five <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I told you a lot can happen in five seconds. <laughs> so when I'm looking at an artwork, it's after doing it for so long, it's just kind of boom, yeah. boom, boom. Um, but yeah, that's kind of um, how I, at least I, uh, that's my entry point into uh, further thinking about um, mm. art. But, you know, we, we are in the times, Kapusini, where so much of artwork, we're talking about NFT, we are talking about a billion dollar plus industry. Everyone is an artist, they are trained artists, they are untrained artists. We are just bombarded, just like movies, like like content creators. There's too much of artwork. So training yourself to pick up a pin from a haystack. Is there a process mm. of being a curator where you have to consistently train yourself to see? Mm, I think I understand. <laughs> what is what is the experience yeah. of being a curator when there's so so much yes. supply and there's there are countless artworks and one one curator's pair of mm. eyes wouldn't be able to even begin yes. to see all of it. Yeah, that's a pretty big question, especially. Um, and I'll I'll take a step back. So uh, Sachi Art is um, really the leading online art gallery right now, um, representing mm. emerging artists. And um, we have over two million uh, our wow. original artworks and thousands of yeah thousands of artists mm. on our platform. Um, from all yeah. across the world. Um, that you know, That's the benefit of it being predominantly yeah. online. Um, so that that is just to say that there is a lot of artwork that um, not just me, but the entire curation team is seeing. Yeah. Um, what really sort of stands out, you know, could in, a, in the most practical sense be... Um, you know, this is my, this is the style of art where I'm an expert. Or um, like I was saying earlier, this is kind of that, I'm having a very visceral experience or vis visceral reaction to this artwork. Maybe I should explore mm. this a little more. Um, and um, I think what is, I, so I will just say my belief, my personal belief is that there really is no such thing as having an overcrowded mm. market. It's it's almost like telling an accountant that there are too many mm. accountants and you can't be an accountant <laughs> because the, the market is just oversaturated mm. with accountants. Mm. Um, I do think that um, essentially like the way to quote unquote be exposed or have your artwork stand out in some mm. way um, really is... I would say it's the well, yeah. luck <laughs> um, and uh, strategy, of course, it's some kind of career management, whether that's um, you sort of, um, I guess, being the agent of your own mm. uh, career or have like, you know, like a, a, a proper um, gallery representing you or proper um, gallery mm. representation. Um, and some of that really is, you know, luck, <laughs> um, which I would say is the last ingredient. Um, 
I would also say that um, it's the confidence too behind an artist um, and their mm-hmm. practice. Like I have known many artists who are struggling because they really just don't know why they're creating yeah. artwork, the purpose. Um, they just kind of fell into it. Um, there's no really, there's no clear yeah. direction into where they're going, where their artwork is going, where they are yeah. in their career and kind of how to move forward. Um, I think that's a lot of it. Um, I would say that, (laughs) I would say that there are many self-taught artists who may not, you know, may not have had art school training um, and create work very confidently and uh, vice versa. There are many um, artists who had art school training and are forever, (laughs) forever, you know, questioning whether or not they took the the Mm. right path. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, um, definitely having some kind of strategy Mm -hmm. or, um, knowing sort of what your next move is, even if your next move is, okay, I'm going to take a break and just sort of isolate myself and and work. Um, and another ingredient is luck, of course, but I think like really the, the key one is, um, moving with confidence um, and really knowing what your next step mm. is going to be in your career, where you are, where mm. the next step is going Lovely. to be, for sure. Tell me, Capucine, we are talking about um, a one billion dollar digital artwork industry. Being a curator, how do you foresee the way it it's influencing our culture globally? Where do you see it's taking us five years or? three years from now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big question. Um, Well, first, I don't think it's Mm -hmm. going anywhere. (laughs) I don't think NFT, I don't think blockchain technology, I don't think Mm -hmm. it's going anywhere. So first is um, just sort of the general public accepting um, uh, what I I truly Mm -hmm. believe is backed. Um, And really how NFTs have affected the culture is, I I would say that the digital art industry um, has, and Web3 in particular, because of, you know, NFTs and kind of the hype machine that's behind it, that it first attract, or at least on the onset um, with the NFT boom in August of last year, um, it definitely attracted uh, people who want Mm. to make money. by whatever means necessary. Um, and they're also just the general climate is that there is an emphasis on um, productivity over mm. creativity. Um, and, you know, I definitely have seen artists and I can really truly just speak mm. to, um, um, I guess, the way that this has affected the art world. I've seen many artists begin to yeah. burn out you know, they've been creating, they've been at their desk creating work, looking at a screen um, for 12 hours (laughs) out of a day, sometimes all day, depending on what their process is, whether or not their online communities are in countries that are across the world. So, you know, they might be in New York and um, (laughs) yeah, much of their community is in India or is in Hong Kong. And they have to stay up in order to engage with them. And um, oftentimes 
those artist communities and networks um, in Web3 and um, in NFT spaces um, recycle wealth. Yeah. So, you know, my, my buddy, my artist buddy um, is selling uh, for uh, at Foundation, mm-hmm. for example. And um, because I know that I am going to um, at least begin the initial bid. So it's yeah. sort of this kind of, and then, you know, they do a similar thing when it comes to, you know, when yeah. they're having a sale. So because you're relying on your online community financially, um, and even like for that kind of emotional yeah. support um, and artistic support, you are inspired by the things that they're creating, um, that there is definitely like a sense of burnout. And I think it definitely speaks to the broader yeah. culture of being really burned out, being on your phone. And with the pandemic, um, you know, people, yeah. many people choosing to exist almost exclusively yeah. online. Um, so it certainly has like affected and effect, influenced as well has been influenced by, um, you know, internet culture and over maybe overconsumption and hyper productivity and, um, and this sense of uh, this interest in yeah. like hype. Yeast. Um, alternatively, though, I think there are some really valuable aspects of, um, I would say specifically the NFT industry, digital art overall, um, but the way the NFTs relate to um, the culture and the, and the uh, world mm-hmm. right now is um, there is, I, I have worked with um, many artists, particularly artists who are emerging and perhaps like, you know, struggling yeah. a little bit. And um, they tend to be kind of subsumed with um, the creative aspect, the conceptual aspect, and really kind of tunnel visioning yeah. into that without really thinking about how prolific they are or um, being really uh, caught up and making sure that every artwork is the most refined, perfect representation of their body of work, as opposed to kind of just chunking out work in order to get practice, Um, you know, building that practice and building that craftsmanship in order for them to then be able to have for, you know, after 20 studies, the 21st one, now you have this really refined, you know, artwork. Um, And so I think what, what the industry actually does um, is although there is a lot of you know hyper productivity I do think it also kind of um, reinforces and allows artists to realize like you know that that um, artwork that you made six months ago and because everything moves so quickly six months feels like a long time it really isn't um, you've definitely improved. Um, and just because it's on this very public platform where there's so many other yeah. platforms, not that many people are going to see it. You have it out there. Um, it's visible yeah. to everyone and that's okay. <laughs> not every exhibition is, you know, going to be your, your, um, make or break moment that, um, after some time, you will have a lot of crap out there, but what will actually be elevated is the more quality productions um, that you sort of exhibit and put forward. So I do think it frees artists up a little bit to focus, to both kind of focus on quantity and quality using quantity in order to um, 
basically find the quality in your mm-hmm. own artwork. Tell I think me, is one really great way that sure. That. You spoke about burnout and uh, you spoke about the uh, quantity taking over quality. How do artists in the digital art world survive? What if your art does not resonate with a lot of people? What if the sales don't happen? How do you tackle, do you get, do you, do you have to deal with the mental health of artists? Oh, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's, <laughs> that's another sort of benefit mm. of, although, you know, if an artist doesn't make a sale mm. or an exhibition wasn't quite as successful as they wanted it to be, mm. um, I think some of it that really have to kind of instill an artist mm. and instill an artist. And I mentioned before that I'm, I'm based in New York. Yeah. And I worked in New York and there's just this general sense of, especially when you're, um, you know, mid-career or early career, especially actually, um, don't take it personally. (laughs) So, you know, you could apply or submit for dozens of open calls and um, for different residencies or whatever it is, or, you know, you're, you're, selling at a show mm. you have a, you have you know an exhibition of 15 works and none of them have sold mm. that it that it's just not that was just not a good fit mm. in other words mm. you didn't get that residency because they were looking for this very specific thing that you just happened not to fit into mm. and that's okay mm. you will sort of find your moment find your find your niche find your space um, and to not really be discouraged by that and just keep refining what you know that you're good at, or at least what you know you will be good at. Mm. Um, it's really, it's very easy for me to say that, you know, when, um, for, you know, for example, like my livelihood necessarily isn't on my 15 work, um, yeah. uh, exhibition, yeah. you know, uh, I'm obviously I'm kind of invested in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also my job. Yeah. And, um, it's also my livelihood. Yeah. Um, however, it, it's really kind of letting artists understand that, um, not immediately making sales or not making sales for one show out of, you know, a few or whatever, whatever, you know, that is that it's, it's actually, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) You lived, um, but also too, this doesn't mean that you can't continue to create work, um, I mean, it's like any other job, you know, yeah. you might have had a job as a hotel concierge and you were terrible at it, yeah. but <laughs> when you move to, you know, the front desk or you started working as, I don't know, um, as, as a manager of the hotel, you were so much better at that. It just wasn't that one job yeah. in this industry just wasn't your, wasn't your expertise and that's, that's okay. Mm. Um, just really trying to communicate that to artists mm-hmm. actually in in its way kind of frees them up to be able to then just try to find projects that suit them and their audience and their hopeful collector base. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, uh, you know, recently there was this uh, $70 million spent to buy the work, uh, work of art of people. What does that resonate with a buyer? when they're ready to spend that kind of money on the work of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess with regard to 
people um and maybe collectors as a whole Mm -hmm. it's less about artists and definitely more about the moment um during the time of that people sale we were still in a global pandemic (laughs) um we were (laughs) we were also almost again almost exclusively living online yeah um the art world as a whole had kind of hit a plateau um especially because our understanding of art is very material very there's a physicality to art that just about any modern contemporary critic or scholar can tell you that so much of its value is wrapped up in the the brush strokes yeah. or um, this application of paint or you know in the like a judd for example mm. part of the experience or the value in the artwork is being able to move around it being able to experience what it is to be in a physical space with this physical artwork something that moves you in a in a not even just like a visceral like a physical way yeah. um so now that you know mega galleries and museums they don't have that ability anymore to kind of that's not their selling point to collectors anymore um it was sort of it was almost a natural shift for digital art to in nfts in particular to um really kind of be a part of people's lives in the same way that physical artwork was and is mm-hmm. um yeah i think it has more to do with the moment um i mean now we look at you know let's say a basquiat that sells for millions maybe two to three million mm-hmm. um and you know people think well why why is that selling there's nothing in i mean people wonder you know they can see the value in a in a basquiat mm-hmm. um aesthetically and formally conceptually mm-hmm. um but what is it that makes it the value of two million dollars yeah. um and a lot of that is because it, I mean, sure, all of those like very more art historical um, critical points, but it's also too that Basquiat was really an artist of the moment. He knew Warhol. Um, he was a part of the New York art scene. Uh-huh. Um, he was very well connected. He um, was really young when he died. So he had like this really incredible story. He comes from an, like an immigrant family. Mm. Incredible story. Um, well-connected in the New York art scene, um, had contemporaries that are also, you know, mega artists who had really changed the canon, like Warhol. So all of that kind of wrapped up, plus, you know, of course, great, great salespeople. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that wrapped up can really um, inject value into what would otherwise just be, you know, globs of paint on a canvas yeah. <laughs> or actually some, some of them aren't on canvas but um you know point taken yeah do, do, so do you think kind warhol of... was a great salesperson himself um was oh yeah, certainly <laughs> he was a great salesperson <laughs> yeah he was his best salesperson <laughs> um I, I mean as a matter of just you know not to make an aside mm. or having a side mm-hmm. here, but um, he was one of the first to elevate prints. Mm. Um, and especially at a time like 50s, 60s, where um, mass production became such a part mm. of um, uh, goods and luxury goods in, in particular, mm. um, that he really leaned into that and um, 
was able to kind of sell to people that, okay, you can have this one thing that I duplicate four or five different times and it still be value valuable. And let me tell you why. Mm. Um, so yeah, he was great question. He was an excellent salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's difficult for an artist to sell, you know, I've always seen, I see it in my own self and I, the artists I've met, artists do not want to focus on the commerce side of the business, at least most of them, they want someone to handle it. So having a quality to be able to sell what you are making is a great quality. So as a curator, uh, how, how would you sort of, if you want to advise someone, how do you sell your work of art? How do you put yourself out there um, constantly to be to be seen, also to uh, uh, their art, uh, their art to be able to be appreciated. What are a couple of things that you would advise? To artists to be a little more visible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there there are a number of ways, and I I would say that I think it's what an artist is most comfortable with. There are artists who are um, what I would call, if you know, of course, if they're managing kind of their own careers or mm-hmm. um, finding their way who I would call pushers. Mm. So they will cold call (laughs) and cold email Mm. any curator wherever they are and really push their work. Mm. Um, I would say that there are, I mean, even if it's a cold call, cold email, and I've even seen it at openings to artists just, and this might actually be the most effective way to to kind of cold call curator or someone is to, you know, go to as many talks or as many exhibition openings as you can and make yourself physically visible um, and not be afraid to talk to really anyone. Or if you know that a curator is in a room, um, even if they're, you know, talking to maybe the most important person in the building, don't be, you really have nothing to lose. And starting that initial point of contact is really it's so much more effective um so those are pushers yeah. <laughs> there are also artists who on the extreme end of that there are artists who um they are a little more uh a little more passive yeah. because a, a lot of their focus is on their artwork yes. so i would say for them a lot of it would be um, I mean, this this is why I do my job. <laughs> I'm managing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for them, I would say it's actually a really what I've noticed that works for them is having a strong um, artist network uh-huh. and artist community. I also think this is why many artists will will you'll find them you know after art school like, gosh, I think I should go to grad school because I can't quite seem to figure it out or find an exhibition or X, Y, and Z thing. And what they're actually saying is that they would, they want community. Mm. They want other people. They they would like some kind of an incubator, you know, other artists to kind of talk about their practice Um, and for them to kind of feed off of each other and be able to support each other in, you know, in their process, their artistic process. Um, and that has also been incredibly effective, you know, or you can uh, get a Saatchi art account and 
<laughs> of course. Uh, of course. And you can also try and need Capucine if she's available, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure. But but do you see the quality of uh being an introvert and not being able to sail something that can affect uh, an artist who is really good but not able to uh you know be brash about it uh be extrovert about their work do you, do you think that that is mm-hmm. going to affect their uh career as artists do you see that Sure. I mean, you know, it's again, like with any, truly with any industry or any career or job, you know, more visible you make yourself. The extroverts tend to do better, you know, especially in corporate situations or or settings. Um, They historically being outgoing really is to your benefit in any, in any industry. Um, However, you know, really the people who are pushing pushing innovation forward not always not always yeah. but the benefit of being an introvert is that mm. um you sort of have the work and the time and the space mm. to devote a little more to your artwork mm. and um I, I in that way i do think being an introvert is incredibly valuable you're able to kind of slow down whereas um I, i'm an introvert or i'm an extrovert mm. introverted extrovert but i'm an extrovert <laughs> So because I'm sort of out as often as I can be, I, I don't always create space for myself to be able to create or write really as, yeah. as a curator. That's more of my yeah. creation. Um, so, it, you know, there are times I really wish I were an introvert so that I can really like fine tune my writing. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, in, in my instance, that's in order to be able to speak to and represent artists um, in the best way that I can. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't, I don't think it's um, like a handicap. Being a curator, Capucine, tell me about <laughs> your like a daily routine. Um, uh, how, like you wake up, you go to work. How do you constantly enhance your perception or seeing experience uh, to be able to pick up things? Be able to, um, as in, like, learn new yeah. things as a as in, as in um, uh, so that you can, you know, they say that if you constantly do photography every day, like a one photo, you're able to see better um, as an artist. Mm. So as a curator, what is it to your regime, mm. your routine that you polish your craft as a curator? No, for sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm. Um Definitely, and it's actually advice that I, I give artists too. Is I go to as many openings uh, that that I can. <laughs> um, I, it's very hard, you know. Like we, because we also manage careers at at Saatchi. Yeah, you know, it, we have to sort of deal with the, the more like the paperwork or. Um, the more boring aspects of it, yeah. you know, securing partnerships, mm-hmm. like those kinds of things, they aren't as sexy as, you know, yeah. the other, the other things, but um, in order to like fine tune, like my quote unquote craft as a curator, yeah. definitely seeing as many shows, whether that's gallery um, exhibitions, mm-hmm. um, like institutional, like museum exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, scouring online mm-hmm. um, now with NFTs, 
we have the benefit of having kind of this web three Twitter space. Yeah. I can really get into a rabbit hole and just kind of looking at, you know, this artist who is exceptional and figuring out who's in their network. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, rabbit holes. Um, and just generally on, online, I mean, obviously Sachi Art has um, a really strong um, like roster of artists. And um, of course they're, like I mentioned, they're thousands. So I can't always get, get to yeah. them. Um, so it's always new ones um, and really kind of every day. Um, so um, yeah, it's just a lot of looking similar to an artist, just a lot of looking and seeing. Yeah. Um, I would also say in order to be, um, in order to improve my crafts, I also read a lot about art. Mm. Um, sometimes I read, depending on whether or not I'm able to move, currently I work remote. Um, I can sometimes read and write about art more than, um, I'm actually seeing it. Mm. Um, but that helps me to be able to speak a little better or, um, conceptualize a little better what I'm looking at. Mm. Um, again, looking as a very stimulating, um, like physical, reactive kind of experience. Mm. So to be able to kind of sit, pause, and reflect on what what's actually happening, mm. um, I think isn't just you know valuable to represent the artist, but also for um, other people to resonate and connect with mm-hmm. um, other viewers of the same art. Yeah. I think that's really what I go to. So I love books, mm-hmm. <laughs> love writing. Um, it's it's kind of looking at art and and sort of reading about art are kind of hand in hand mm-hmm. to me. I saw this work of art that you created uh, in Saatchi Gallery. It was the work of David Ramis, and if I'm pronouncing it mm-hmm. right. Jean Gualiu. Okay, the J is silent. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, it's a Chinese name. Yeah. Um, the artist is Taiwanese. So yeah. it doesn't, I mean, I can't see the tones here. Yeah. So that's the closest I can get. I would have to actually um, hear the artist speak their name and speak the tones. Yeah. But for the most part, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how you yeah. So Thank what you. is a, a couple of fundamentals that you saw in the work of art that stood out for you as a curator? Yeah. Um, so with David, um, he has a series um, on his profile currently mm-hmm. called Icons. Yeah. Um, it's his icon series. And um, what really struck me about it is that he is a very like conceptual digital photographer mm-hmm. and he has been able to take sort of mundane objects like table and um, chair and these like file folders, very mundane everyday objects and um, elevate them and display them and present them in a way to where they're, they're not just mundane, they're icons. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that such a, very cool conceptual just um i guess way of looking Mm. um and for um leo Mm. this i guess in contrast this artist definitely is a little more um very like formal and very um i guess formally interesting Mm. so this artist plays a lot with color um with spatial relationships so 
you know, one of, they have this series or really the core of their body of work, at least right now is these kinds of um, like shadowed squares mm. um, that, I mean, and you know, they're just sort of squares on uh, a, a canvas or a digital canvas, yeah. but because the artist takes these like forms where they're working with, you know, if I add a little more shading here, this makes the image or this makes these squares like come closer to the foreground and some of the other ones come further back and into the background and playing with those spatial relationships looking how different colors like these complementary colors really kind of also deal with the same kind of spatial um kind of spatial questions um that artist really does a great job of um taking these fundamentals of art and um making them look so much more original than, than, you know, than they normally would Mm. taking very simple concepts and creating like every work looks different using similar color palette. Um, All of them are squares, (laughs) no rectangles, no triangles, no circles Mm. Um, and um, slight shading. And for that to be so, so effective and everyone to be so different, um, is incredibly interesting. Also, too, they're pretty. Both <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of them are pretty. You know, for them to be able to kind of achieve those very like interesting, um, kind of explore those interesting relationships, while also at the same time, I want to hang this on my wall. I think that's kind of um, that speaks to the artist having both like um, critical and popular appeal. Um, that's why those two really stood out mm. to me. Critical and popular—that's a great combination. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If someone wants to become a digital artist, where should they start from? Can you see? Mm-hmm. Um, you, well, I, I was actually going to say you should probably get a laptop <laughs> <laughs> or some, some kind of dig, like electronic gadget. Uh-huh. Um, you actually don't have to start there, uh-huh. technically. Uh-huh. Um, there are many artists who start... Um, uh, with the physical object, mm. sometimes it could, you know, be, um, I don't know, they can take the ink, ink cartridges mm. in, um, in a printer and, um, or rejigger a printer to where whatever is, whatever is printed mm. out, um, has like a certain, you know, look or feel to mm. it. Um, so you, technically you can start with physical objects, but yes, you certainly need a computer or some kind of computer application, yeah. even even if it's your phone. Yeah. It'd also be your phone, yeah. starting with a digital image. Yeah. Um, and um, really just kind of creating with whatever tools you have. Hmm. Um, I know artists, there's one artist in particular who I've been in conversation with, but oh my gosh, I can't believe her name isn't. <laughs> Out to me right now. I see so many names, um, but they work um, exclusively in Microsoft Paint. Oh. It's the most simple <laughs> Microsoft Paint application. Oh. Um, far less sophisticated than Photoshop. Far less sophisticated than Illustrator. Really, anything that's out there, mm. and they create these really incredible. Um, artworks. I, I will send you a link. <laughs> I probably via email. Yes. Um, but 
that artists can, I mean, similar to physical artists, taking whatever tools they have yeah. and um, really kind of, you know, creating artwork out of it, creating a creation. Mm. Um, so basically just jump, jump right in, yeah. um, dive right in yeah. is the first bit of advice. The second bit I would say mm. is um, study. It is okay to study. <laughs> and that could be in the form of um, looking at as many artworks as you can yeah. by the greats, um, even by, you know, work you've who seen are the that greats? you felt was crap. <laughs> who you, you know, are the greats. Yeah. Or it could also be, you know, work that you've seen that you feel like it's crappy. Yeah. Just look at it all yeah. and really study it. You know, you could also, you know, read read about fundamentals of art and, you know, that kind of, mm. those kinds of things, but um, just study in whichever way makes sense to mm. you. Um, that's definitely how you'll get, um, get much better. Mm. Um, and it, I, I also think it's a motivator um, for artists who really want to get started, but just don't know where, mm. um, just looking. Mm. Just <laughs> looking. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of grades mm. they can study. Mm. Um, let's see. Mm. I would say I'm thinking about what I tend to look at. Um, truthfully, when I'm looking at um, work, mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at contemporary artists. Now, I know that many people don't have access to the kinds of galleries and museums that I yeah. do in New York. Yeah. Um, so the great thing about being a digital artist is that you have access to vid- uh, virtual tours. Yeah. Um, there are many, um, galleries, whether that's, you know, like mega contemporary galleries, or if that's university galleries like Yale, um, and museums, they also tend to have their collection digitized and available for people to, um, to view. Um, and what other things do I... Those actually are incredibly effective. I would also say exhibition catalogs, mm. um, which are wonderful because they kind of intermittent between, you know, these spreads or the collection of um, the reproduction of the images. You'll also have essays by, you know, some wonderful art critics or um, contemporary scholars who kind of lended, you know, a 300, 400 word essay, mm. um, kind of more contextualize the work. Um, exhibition catalogs are great, I think, both for curators and for artists. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that, that that is like a really great base to get started. Mm-hmm. Looking and looking and reading. <laughs> More looking and reading. <laughs> great, great. Thank you so much, Capucine. I really appreciate your time and being on our podcast. And you have a great day. For sure. Thanks for having me. Digital NFT markets have grown and are growing rapidly, specifically also by the news of the $70 billion purchase that was made for people's artwork, but that's very, very rare. Art is still struggling to be seen, to be noticed, and also the point that it is difficult for an artist to come out from their zone and go out there and make a sale for their artwork. I hope you enjoyed this episode. That's it, folks, for this weekend. Stay well, take good care of yourself, and most importantly, don't burn out. You can also follow us on our Insta and our Twitter handles, Metaphysical Lab, for more updates on the Artist Podcast.